I have no cold open. That was like what we just did, I think, is our cold open because I, I got no cold o- open. <laughs> really, I am just trying to like get through this podcast as quick as possible yeah. so that I can go back to playing cyberpunk. I will say one of the most cathartic moments of reading this book was not reading this book. It was finishing this book and then going on Goodreads and reading all the reviews of this book because they are quite funny. Oh, you're showing our hand too quickly, Amanda. <laughs> you're showing our hand too quickly. We have to play it up a little bit more. Oh, right. Hmm. Will we Will like it? this book or won't we like this book? You'll have to tune in to find out. We'll see. We'll see. Hey everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David and I watch too many movies. And my name is Amanda and I read too many books. We are brother and sister and this is our podcast for nerds where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on. And today we get to do something different. Today we will be revisiting tons of 80s trivia and even more nostalgia uh, by jumping back into the Oasis in Ready Player Two, the sequel to Ready Player One by Ernest Cline that was just released like um, like a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Now, since this is a book review, we're going to start with a short spoiler-free section before jumping straight into a spoiler-free discussion of all the plot and nitpicks we have. Now, if you may not remember what happened in the first one, here's just a super quick summary. Uh, It's set in the world 2045 on Earth. Uh, The world has just been absolutely demolished by uh, tons of crises, and everyone spends their time in a virtual universe called the Oasis. Uh, The first book stars our main character, Wade Watts, winning a Easter egg competition filled with trivia and video games and movies to eventually become the owner, CEO, and all around has godlike powers now of the Oasis. Now, before we go into Ready Player Two, Amanda, what did you think of Ready Player One? Yeah, um, fun fact, Ready Player One was our third episode of our podcast. So far back. Yeah, back when we were baby podcasters and just starting out. Um, And I think I was hesitant to say I disliked it as much as I did. I really did not like it very much. Um, I think it was a rare one where I did not feel confident recommending the book or the movie. Um, I think the problem too is that I read it, I had not read it when it came out. It came out, you know, like a decade ago. (laughs) And I think a lot of things in nerd culture and fandom had changed since, um, it first came out and it just read through it. It just didn't work for me in the lens that I had at the time. So it was not my favorite book. Um, the movie was sometimes fun to watch, sometimes frustrating to watch, and it was not my favorite movie. So I was not super excited that there was a sequel, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. what, about, what about you, David? How did you feel about Ready Player One? Yeah, I came, I think, a little bit higher on you, at least initially when I read it, because I mm-hmm. did read this when this came out, and mm-hmm. it it's definitely a product of its time, because it was back when online nerd culture was becoming pop culture you have marvel movies making a big splash you have the 80s coming back and so it just really hit 
a stride at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's even one of the first like popular books to kind of talk about video game culture. Yeah. And so I think it, it, it really just came out at a perfect time. Now, upon revisiting it, I did not like it as much. Uh, I think the movie has its moments, but you can listen to that episode if you want to hear about that. So I didn't expect a sequel per se. Um, mm-hmm. I think if anything, I would have thought there would have been a movie sequel, not a book sequel, actually. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked that they did the book first, but they got to make that money somehow. Got to got to bring those dollars in. So um, wait, I have a single book fact before we move on. Would you like to know okay, my single let's, book fact? Let's hear the single book fact, yes. Um, Steven Spielberg, who did the movie, contributed to the writing process of this book. I... He's a filmmaker. <laughs> he's not a writer, Amanda. You have to give him a break, okay? You, he's a filmmaker. You can't judge him, all right? He also c- called Ready Player crafts, One one of the hardest movies he's ever made, which is that's crazy. True. The dude has made a billion <laughs> movies. <laughs> Yes. So let's talk about Ready Player Two since we are on the cusp of talking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. So a quick summary on where the sequel picks up. It picks up immediately, not a minute after Ready Player One um, finishes. Our heroes, so it's Wade and his friends who are now owners of of the Oasis and the company that owns it, uh, are billionaires now. They can do whatever they want. They're level 99 characters. It's the best. They take a short vacation. And when they come back, there is a new Easter egg and a new Easter egg hunt. Uh, so the Easter egg that Wade finds leads him to a new software, uh, that plugs directly into, well, I guess it's technically hardware, right? That plugs directly into somebody's yeah, brain both, yeah. so that when they experience things in the Oasis, they can now experience it with all of their senses. It is as if they can become a completely different person. It's it's the John Malkovich of this universe. They mm-hmm. are completely a different person and they can experience it from their point of view. The team rolls it out to everybody in the world um, with some discussions around whether that's a good idea or not. And uh, the second actual Easter egg hunt is a search for the seven shards of the siren. Uh, and adventure ensues as they look for those shards. Oh, yeah. Just another Easter egg hunt. <laughs> Just another super fun 80s Easter egg hunt. <laughs> if you wanted more Easter egg hunts, boy. Now they got to find seven of them, guys. Yeah, yeah. Now it's seven. What was the first one? Was it? I believe it was. I guess it was six in the last one because it was three keys to three gates. This one's seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what did you think, David? What did you think about this story? Having just freshly finished it, how did you like it? Yeah, this story is very frustrating because, (laughs) um. You know, I, just I can out see the gate. Just actually, coming out the gate strong about this, huh? <laughs> I think so. It's just like I've gone back and forth on how to describe this book. And I I don't think it's one of those where a lot of people are like, it. there never should have been a sequel. I think he actually sets up an okay concept at the start um, yeah. in terms of how the world has changed since he does it. I'll go into more thoughts on that in uh some of the spoiler territory but i think that he he sets up an actually an okay concept 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it really kind of falls apart as soon as you start going back into doing the same thing that they did in the last book. Um, yeah. He tries to take this concept of Easter egg and kind of fit it into a new plot. And I think it just kind of gets messy because he just tries to juggle too many things in sort of an uh, an old skeleton. Uh, so for me... It kind of fell flat, uh, especially towards the end of the book. Yeah, and I I mean, I felt this way a little bit with Ready Player One. I don't hate that it exists. Like, the idea of Willy Wonka story retold for uh, video games is a great idea. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And and I don't hate that the sequel exists, Is that? but I do hate that it doesn't seem to improve on what was missing in the first one. Uh, like the most frustrating thing to me of the first book was that it felt like you were hanging out with a friend who was always making jokes and then would turn to you to explain what each of his jokes meant. And that was, it was <laughs> like, have you ever had that experience where he's like, oh, haha, this, hey, this is why this is funny. You, this is why mm-hmm. you should be laughing at this. This is why it's funny. And these are all the reasons why. And if you knew all these reasons, you would also be laughing because it's so funny and I'm so smart. That's what it was like hanging out with this book for an additional 10 hours that it took me to read it <laughs> or listen to the audiobook. <laughs> yeah, Waits' character is is very often very frustrating. And it's not even know, no, I, no, 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 no. It's not I mean, Wade's character aside, he's a turd. But it's not even <laughs> It's not even his character that does that. It's the storytelling that does that. Um, Because every time he interacts with something, he's like, I saw the sword from Lord of the Rings. And they're like, well, this sword is really great because of all these reasons. And if you were a true nerd, you would know these things. And I'm like, I don't, okay, I don't, okay, I guess. But what does that have to do with a story that's actually being told? And it bleeds into the actual storytelling where, like, things in the plot happen. And he's like, thankfully, I planned for this all along. And I'm like, when? I've been with you this whole time. <laughs> when did you sneak away from my brain to plan this side quest? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if you put any plot point under a big microscope, none of it's going to make sense. <laughs> Even, like, the pressure that's put on him... Um, to kind of complete this Easter egg hunt under a time crunch doesn't make sense the more you think about it, and I would mm-hmm. recommend not thinking about it. Uh, yeah. But for Wade's character in particular, you can really tell that Ernest Klein tried to take some of the criticism from the first book. Sure. Of a lot of the problems with the character. And I, I actually think it is kind of interesting to have this character embody sort of all the bad things about nerd and gamer culture i'm not against that it's that his well i don't think ernest klein knows that he's doing that (laughs) i i'll give i'm gonna give ernest klein some credit i think he Mm -hmm. may have but i think that he tried to throw so many things into this book that he never felt like really putting the time into a single character. And I think that even includes Wade. I think by the end of the book, he's just trying to rush to get it done because he's created this own time crunch for him within his own story. So really just didn't feel well thought out for a lot of the characters in this book. 
Yeah, and I guess that's spoilers. So I guess we could talk about Wade's character more in the spoiler <laughs> section. But there, just wait for the spoiler <laughs> section. There's a lot of stuff we got to get off our chest. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like more of the same, unfortunately. And I know it's going to be made into a movie, and I think it's going to be made into another big, expensive movie. And by the time it comes out, the 80s will be 40 years behind us. And literally nobody, nobody over the age of 60 will understand the reference. <laughs> it's very well. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Have... So, so oh, at, this, at this point, the 80s, the decade of the 80s is now, unfortunately, 30 years behind us. And mm-hmm. so the people who would most benefit and like enjoy the nostalgia of these this book are in their like late 30s, 40s, and 50s. But those are not the people picking up this book. So it's just a little bit weird that like this book, it wants to be about futuristic nerd culture, but it is still stuck in the eight, 1980s when like nerd culture has expanded so much past like John Hughes and like even like the mentions of Star Wars. It are only about the original trilogy Star Wars. They don't even talk about the tons of other Star Wars that has come since then. You know what I mean? So it just, it yeah. feels off. It feels very specific and not very much like something that w- would be popular on the internet. Well, that's the thing is that if you were to plot all the interests that this book talks about on a chart, I would probably overlap with a lot of those if you think about sure, it. Sure, sure. Uh, I think a part of it is that some of these things are old uh, and are continuing to age. And I promise you our dad would not be interested in this book, even though he lived as a teenager <laughs> through the 80s. Mm-hmm. But I think the bigger problem with a lot of these references is that he had some of this in the first book, but I think he's super guilty of it in the second book, is he doesn't take as much time to educate the reader on these things oh, and instead I of focusing on oh my one God. or two of these things <laughs> but he doesn't he doesn't try to educate in a way that um makes it so it is brought into the larger plot and self like references itself later it all feels no. very I disagree. It's I feel like it's the same as the first book and he spends way too much time being like, well, this, this and this and this, this and this and blah, 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 this. And there's like no creative like problem solving whatsoever happening. There's literally parts yeah. in this book where other characters are just telling him what to do in a video game. And so we are literally watching, we are literally reading about somebody telling somebody else how to play a video game that we cannot see being played. Well, that's more of a fault of the concept, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> let's be real. No, 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 no. That is that is boring storytelling. There was a lot of different ways he could like craft a mystery to be solved, and none of them involved another side character just telling the main character what to do. Boring. Yeah, pretty boring. Well, then, Amanda, I think uh, I think we've summed up our spoiler-free section. <laughs> I feel as like people are just going to end up going into the spoiler section, but I might as well ask you, uh, do you recommend this? Would you rate it? You know, how do you feel about it? I do not. It is the lowest rated book that I've read this year. I rated it 1.5 stars. 
It was so Ooh, frustrating. Lowest rating. <laughs> it's not yeah. my favorite, guys. It's not even like a fun book to read to make fun of. So, no, pass on it. Yeah, I hard, I hard pass on it as well. I think it <laughs> is. Um, uh, it's just very frustrating. I think even if you did like the first book, which I think there are people out there that really did love it, mm-hmm. I think coming into this one, you're gonna be really frustrated with some of the character choices. It's, you know, if you're into this type of genre as well, you're gonna notice some very glaring mistakes in some mm-hmm. of his sci-fi theory. Uh, that's just gonna bother you. So yeah, I'd probably say just skip it. You know, wait till Mr. Spielberg says I'm gonna fix this with a movie, and then maybe check that out. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. We'll see if it goes to Netflix. <laughs> if it goes, yeah. Oh, could you imagine if it was a mini series? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, you're just puking all over the place now. <laughs> You're literally just bringing up ideas and then you're like, oh my gosh, it made me puke so much. Okay, that is not that is not my fault. When you force me to eat garbage, I will be puking up said garbage. <laughs> Oof. All right, guys. Well, let's go into the spoiler section on that. Yeah, so let's talk through this story, David. I need like some therapeutic talk through this story. Can we do that? Can yeah. we talk about this story? So let's let's talk about like the concept of this story. So we didn't mention our spoiler free section that what kind of sets off all these events is, you know, Wade is now uh, given basically this ONI technology that allows people to hook their brain up to the Oasis to everybody. It's now a mainstay. 99% of users now use this. Um, he has now broken up with his girlfriend from the last book, Artemis. They of lasted one week. all of like they yeah they lasted all of one week. So yeah. it was like they were barely together. Um, However, and <laughs> he makes sure that we know he is no longer a virgin. That is very important for us to know. He mentions it <laughs> yeah, like that was a hundred times. Yeah, yeah. He really wants to know that, which was a little off putting. <laughs> he really wants us to way. know that he is a billionaire, no longer a virgin, new and improved Wade Watts of this of this book. Oh my gosh. Anyways, where this story's feeling comes into play is the VR version of James Halliday uh, called Anorak. He is an artificial at- intelligence who wants to take control of whatever they find uh, at the end of this Easter egg hunt of the Siren Souls. Um, and so he has basically stopped any user from logging out. Um, and if a user is in their headset for more than 12 hours, they will suffer some sort of brain damage and could die. Um, Mm -hmm. so the world is kind of held hostage by this guy so that Wade and his team can go through an Easter egg hunt again. Now, there's a lot of plot holes here. (laughs) (laughs) Is there? There's so many plot holes here in this story. Well, hold on. Let's, I know that we already talked about the beginning, Let's talk about, so it opens up literally with this really long monologue from Wade talking about all the things that have changed in like the two years since all this happened, right? Where he talks about him and Artemis breaking up. He talks about how each of the owners of the Oasis have gone their separate ways and are doing their own thing. Um, Artemis is doing a lot of humanitarian thing. The rest of them 
are not. And they are fighting all the time about it. And literally, he's like, he's like, yeah, we tried to save humanity. But you know what? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably, it's, they're too screwed anyway. So you know what? We're going to have everybody, we're going to release this maybe brain damaging technology to everybody to get them super hooked. Uh, I just, this book. Well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) Uh, we start the story, and I think the story does this on purpose. It kind of makes you hate Wade because he is yeah. a following every dystopian science fiction. He goes out of his way to say that his company is now a monopoly and controls almost everything within the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also, when he's mad at users who make fun of him on Twitter, go and kill their characters without them knowing about it. So, yeah. like, he goes out of his way to show that Wade has kind of turned into the worst human being. Um, And everything you kind of hate about big tech companies, Wade kind of embodies here. So we're already kind of starting off with the story, not really wanting good (laughs) things to happen to our main character. Yes. So then they all come together for when everybody is held hostage they have to find six of the Easter eggs, or the, sorry, six of the shards, because uh, Wade has literally paid a billion dollars to find the first one from somebody. Um, Super relatable. <laughs> I just, that was such a strange moment, because I know they're trying to like introduce this other character who is far more interesting than our main character, unfortunately. Um, this other character, and... The problem is, is that Wade, like literally the first book, the the thing that made Wade into the protagonist and the bad guy into the bad guy was because Wade knew the things and the bad guy was paying to get the things. And now Wade has become that. And there's like no, it's like not done on purpose. There's no like wink of irony to it. It's just, yeah, he does it. And then we move on with the rest of our story. And here's the thing. Weird. (laughs) It is really weird. And I'm going to give Ernest Klein credit. I think he does this on purpose. I think he does make us hate Wade on purpose. Um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there that he was not naive of the fact of what he was doing with his own character. I think the problem, again, I think the setup, uh, I was very, here's the thing. I was not happy with where Wade's character ended in Ready Player One. So seeing Wade become sort of a horrible person and people not liking him was a little cathartic for yeah. me. Fine. Um, totally fine. I think the but problem then- is, is that Ernest Klein then tries to show the shift in Wade's characters by just telling us about how Wade relates to other more interesting characters. Um, And it's really disappointing. It does not land. David, David, does Wade's character ever shift in this, in this book? Does he ever Uh, change in this book? Does he ever learn anything in this book? I will say, good point. I would say he doesn't really change much. He learns to listen to a girlfriend Mm. that I'm very confused Mm -hmm. chose to stick with him. No, no, my brother, he does not. Because at the end, does he apologize to her? No. She apologizes to him. She says, I'm so sorry I was so stubborn for so long. You were right. Yeah. Can we talk about Artemis? She's a very weird character. (laughs) 
I I wish I honestly wish the story was told from Artemis's point of view. Um, I think she was much more interesting than Wade, uh, just from the fact that she was like stubbornly arguing against everything. Because because here's the thing. Yes, Anorak is the villain of this movie, or sorry, of this book, technically. I would say Wade is definitely the villain of this book because he's the one who release, who decides to release this new technology without ever thinking through what its repercussions were. And then it allows Anorak to rise up and basically get its grips on everything else. You know what I mean? Like, he was only summoned because of Wade. Therefore, Wade is really the one that launched everything into motion. Can I tell Unwittingly, you why? but he did. Can I, can I tell you what I think this book is supposed to be doing? In terms of, like, if yeah. I zoom out, like, yeah. if, if I were to get meta for a moment, I think what Ready Player Two actually is, is a book paid for by Wade's company to try to show <laughs> how a monopolistic uh, madman... <laughs> Elon Musk type of dude is mm-hmm. actually the savior and I think it's actually just propaganda to trick a dystopian future into submitting to their overlord. Um because honestly, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> honestly, yeah, because this book, so this book ends so they go through the ridiculous ridiculous challenges. There's something called the Dork Slayer. Um Ogden, the great and powerful Og from the first one, who is Simon Pegg, and the only one I remember from the first movie, um, the only good character, dies, mm-hmm. saving, saving, literally saving the day. Our hero does nothing. He sits inside and he, um, you know, whatever. He does nothing. Og literally saves everybody and then dies and then is resurrected by a resurrection rod that they have uh, because not only does the ONI plug directly into your brain, it makes a complete scan of your consciousness without you knowing about it, without you giving your consent for that. Uh, and then it recreates you digitally in um, the game, which is really not cool. <laughs> no, then, it is not cool. And then at the end of this story, we find out this and presumably the first story were both being told by Wade's replicate. Like Ray, Wade's digital AI, AI uh, yeah. who is currently traveling in space to different worlds to find a replacement Earth. Yeah, not great. Not great. <laughs> well, and I think, too, all of these ideas are like every single concept for a dystopian future. Like, Yeah, for sure. The idea of a company secretly scanning your consciousness to make an AI colony for the future is very dystopian. Like at the end of the novel, they're talking about this new technology, about how James Halliday made a great invention so no one can ever die. People Mm -hmm. are still dying, guys. Yes. People still die. I mean, not Mm -hmm. to get too philosophical here, but just because you have an AI copy of your consciousness does not mean you have internal life here. Um, And it's just so icky. Like, I I left the novel being like, I do not want to live. I feel like the the world (laughs) in this future is more dystopian now than where it was at Mm -hmm. the beginning. 
It it ends being very pro billionaire, very pro big corporation, and yeah. very pro invasion of privacy, which I did not see coming. Yeah, <laughs> especially I'll say after the first one. In our year uh twenty twenty, siding on the side of like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook seems like a really wild place to end on. It really does. And to be honest, like the the speech at the end of this book was so over the top and like like propaganda, like like very much like our glorious leader, Wade Watts, who saved <laughs> us and gave us eternal life, that it, it felt like it should be parody, but it was so earnest that I don't think it was, which is really strange. And on top of it, the pro- okay, the problem with all of this is that we are saying in general what the ideas of this book were. All of these ideas that are kind of cool are shoved in the very last like 30 pages of this book. The rest of the book is just more nostalgia, regurgitation, and and puzzles that you are not helping the main character solve in any kind of way or participating at all. You are a complete bystander and you are not engaged in the story whatsoever. And then they have all these dystopian ideas shoved in at the very end that honestly, fine, are fine ideas that they do not engage with in the slightest. Like literally they have, they have the main villain is supposed to be an AI gone rogue and then they create additional AIs and they're like, why would we do this if the last AI almost killed <laughs> billions of people? And then they were like, oh, no, don't worry. They were different. And they're like, oh, OK, that's OK. My uh, actually, you bring up a good point where it's like any normal human being would actually come with the opposite conclusions that they land on at the end. Yes. Like, yeah, my, my favorite line from the book is that after all of this, basically everyone was on a time bomb to die if, you know, 99 mm-hmm. percent of the world would have died if if they didn't complete their mission. Right. And then at the end of the book, there's this crazy uh, like line that it ended with where it's like everyone at the end decided that you know the headsets they really weren't that dangerous at all and I was like how did you come to that conclusion at the end of this story well, Wade, Wade himself <laughs> never uses a headset again so he knows that it's not great but he still doesn't do anything to stop other people from paying him to use those headsets. You see where yeah, the problem great. is? <laughs> not great, not great. Now, not great, not great. <laughs> I do have a major plot hole here that bothered me this entire book. Okay. Yeah, tell me about it. So the whole concept of what's driving the plot is that Anorak has locked people from logging out. And after 12 hours of being connected to it, <laughs> after those 12 hours, you start exhibiting some symptoms and then you mm-hmm. eventually die of like brain damage or a coma or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. This is this entire plot is predicated on the fact that, okay, if someone were to log in at the same time as him, then they would be at the same timeline he is by going through this. Now, mm-hmm. let's say you lived in like Japan or something, okay? And you mm-hmm. were playing for 12 hours and then you got locked from logging out right when those 12 hours hit, okay? Yeah. Everyone doesn't live in the same time zone in this universe, guys. So I yes. feel like 
people would have been dying as he would have gone through this if you couldn't log out. Did I miss a plot point or something? Like, well, they did. They did say that it was just a threat, and that the people were not actually. It like put them in like a comatose state. And so instead of them staying technically logged in, they were in a coma instead or for some reason. So they weren't actually ever going to die. But they were still plugged in. So the threat of him like shutting off. The, I'm not sure. But then why I wasn't think- there news stories about people everywhere being in comas? Like, True. I still don't get how the world landed on these things aren't dangerous if 99% of us got into a coma because if something caused me to have a coma, I'm not mm-hmm. going back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I can watch my TV some other way. <laughs> was there any particular nitpick that you wanted to bring up? That was just the one that bothered oh. me the whole time. Oh, there's so many. I just have to choose one. I mean, mm-hmm. I think in general... The bad guy's plot is bad because he's like, okay, you have 12 hours. You're the whole setup is stupid because it, the stakes are dumb because there's a new Easter egg hunt. The reason why the first Easter egg hunt was at least fun was because everybody in the world was participating. Uh-huh. In this Easter egg hunt, only Wade is the only one who can win this. It is only for the air. Yeah. So who gives a crap? And there's no, there's nothing to get necessarily. There's like a toll he has to pay, but why would he pay a toll if he doesn't know what he's getting for it? So it's a bad setup to begin with. And then when Anorak shows up, he's like, I have the world hostage. Ha, 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 ha. Um, And you have to basically play through six video games in 12 hours, which is, first of all, bananas and logistically speaking but you have to do this in 12 hours otherwise everybody dies but like wade is the only like if wade dies he doesn't get what he wants yes so wade shouldn't die it should be everybody else should be dying around him but wade is like kept healthy you know what i mean yes that's a that's honestly (laughs) that's where i thought this was gonna go Because the idea of people over a 12-hour period dying, like, if there would have been new stories coming out of mass, like, millions of people dying, it would have shown any consequences to his actions. But unfortunately, they didn't really have that at all. We didn't really get any interactions from, like, the outside world at all. The only time they talked about it was to make sure that everybody was signing consent forms so that they didn't sue the company for this. (laughs) I feel like the only plot hole Ernest (laughs) Klein was worried about was, like, wouldn't everyone sue him? And he was like, nope, everyone signed the terms and conditions, which... (laughs) They talk a lot about terms and conditions in this book. A lot more. A lot more. Um... (laughs) One other thing I want to bring up, only to mention how much I didn't like it, was uh, the romance (laughs) between him and Artemis. Makes no sense. Doesn't make any sense why she would suddenly like him again. They have no no chemistry. That's all. He's the worst. He doesn't do anything nice for her, to her, around her. Yeah. He is not a redeemable person at all. They just, like, have cute moments, and all of a sudden they're back again. They're back at it. Yeah, it's almost like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's terrible because 
Um, now I, I might cut this, but I remember the reason why I loved uh, our previous episode. I'm thinking of ending things. Is if if you remember from that episode, it had this whole idea of like identity tied to the things you like, and like yeah. how authentic is that? And yeah. this book was like, what are you talking about? It's a hundred percent authentic. <laughs> your entire personality is what you like, so much so that you can rekindle your romance replaying yep. john hughes movies together and it's yep. like you didn't really solve your problems you just really like john hughes yes they were literally like they go to uh lord of the rings world with the samarillion and he wade is like i'm so sorry i never finished reading the samarillion even though i promised you i would it was too hard once we broke up and she's like oh let's be in love again Weird. Yeah, love from pity. Always works out. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to end it on. I think if anyone has been listening this uh, far, I'd love to hear what you actually thought of this book. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Especially if you liked it. Uh, genuinely, I would like to hear about some of the things you liked, whether it's, you know, some of the challenges he set up. Maybe you're just someone who really likes those types of sequences. So if you do, um, you can just send us an email to stuff at adapted pod or leave a comment or message on our Instagram. I think we'd like to see that. Definitely. Uh, you can subscribe to get automatically updated when new episodes come out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and special thanks to Catloaf for our intro and outro music. You are listening to the track Astoria Dittmars, and you can listen to more Catloaf on Spotify. Yeah, I think he has a new track, too. So, you know, check out that hot new beat, guys. That hot yeah, new beat. Yeah, he just came out with something new. Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead. Uh, you can join us next Thursday for our super secret Christmas episode. Um, until then, if a billionaire tells you to put your brain into something, maybe don't do it. <laughs> until then, please read the terms and conditions below in order to finish. <laughs> By listening to, finish to this podcast, you do uh, <laughs> give us all concession and rights to all and everything that you own, your brain, your intellectual property, your savings account. And if you're this far into listening, too late, man. I already yeah, got all late. of it. Yeah, you have implicitly agreed to all of our terms and conditions already by making it this far. And we own everything. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. All right, see ya. <laughs>